welcome to episode 17 of The World and Everything You Need to Know. My name is Eric. In preparation for the 2016 fall semester, the Dean of Students at the University of Chicago sent all incoming freshmen a letter of welcome. Here is an excerpt from that letter. Once here, you will discover that one of the University of Chicago's defining characteristics is our commitment to freedom of inquiry and expression. This is captured in the university's faculty report on freedom of expression. Members of our community are encouraged to speak, write, listen, challenge, and learn without fear of censorship. Civility and mutual respect are vital to all of us, and freedom of expression does not mean the freedom to harass or threaten others. You will find that we expect members of our community to be engaged in rigorous debate, discussion, and even disagreement. At times, this may challenge you and even cause discomfort. Our commitment to academic freedom means that we do not support so-called trigger warnings. We do not cancel invited speakers because their topics might prove controversial, and we do not condone the creation of intellectual safe spaces where individuals can retreat from ideas and perspectives at odds with their own. Fostering the free exchange of ideas reinforces a related university priority, building a campus that welcomes people of all backgrounds. Diversity of opinion and background is a fundamental strength of our community. The members of our community must have the freedom to espouse and explore a wide range of ideas. Okay, that was nearly the entire letter. What the Dean of Students has described in this letter is what used to be taken for granted as a meaningful and worthwhile collegiate educational experience. Everything included in that passage was universally accepted as part of the normal educational experience offered by accredited colleges and universities. Inexplicably, coming from a completely contrary position, politically correct radicals claim that intellectual freedom, the freedom to think whatever we wish to think, the freedom to ask any question, and the freedom to seek out meaning and relevant answers is something far too dangerous and problematic to be allowed. The detractors claim that certain language and certain ideas and certain topics of conversation need to be abstained from and prevented. They believe not warning students about the inclusion of so-called trigger words and ideas that some students may not agree with is dangerous and harmful. The example they provide is one-third of students are victims of rape, and individuals who have suffered through traumatic incidents, like rape, can be set off by a trigger word, like rape, that will ultimately cause the traumatized individuals to relive their most horrible moments and end up killing themselves as a direct result of intellectual freedom. Before proving why this claim is nonsensical, there is a lot to unpack in the claim itself. To start with, a trigger mechanism in this context is any word, object, place, smell, visual representation, or any other stimuli that reminds an individual about a prior event. The classic example is a hypnotist amusing their audience by telling a hypnotized volunteer that whenever they hear the word banana or see a banana, they will cluck like a chicken. In this case, the trigger is a banana or the word banana. The event is they will be reminded to cluck like a chicken. 
In their claim, the opponents of intellectual freedom have loaded the argument with rape, rape victims, and rape as a trigger word. The reason politically correct radicals do this is it makes it difficult to explain why their claims do not make sense, because saying anything contrary to their claim seems as if rape victims are being discounted and the act of rape is being trivialized. Ironically enough, it is the act of employing this tactic in the place of reason and evidence that actually trivializes rape and rape victims. Any example could have been used, but instead, they set up this nuclear device that is difficult to defuse without looking like the bad guy. This tactic, used by politically correct radicals, is deliberately employed to discourage any logical discussion counter to their claim. Just to be clear, rape is horrific and inexcusable. Perpetrators of rape need to be punished and should not be forgiven. A better, more reliable, less toxic example is the following. When I was in high school, I was in a pretty severe automobile accident. After dusk, on a misty evening in November, I failed to notice a traffic light at a T-shaped intersection had changed. I was traveling at a high rate of speed and the lights at that intersection rarely changed, but when they did, it was because cross traffic was turning onto the highway. Less than a hundred feet from the stoplight, I noticed a large truck slowly pulling into the intersection. My girlfriend at the time was in the passenger seat. She was wearing her seatbelt. I was not. Right before my foot hit the brake, I heard her cry out, Eric, slow down. It was too late. The pavement was wet, the tires locked up, and the car slid headlong into the intersection, crashing into the rear axle of the truck. Miraculously, nobody was hurt even though both vehicles were damaged beyond repair. My girlfriend sat slumped forward with her seatbelt holding her in place. I, on the other hand, was not wearing my seatbelt, yet somehow I survived. During the impact, my hands had shot forward into the dashboard gauges and my body had slid downward and forward into the footwell. It was apparent to me at the time how lucky I was to have lived through the impact of the crash, and I still think about it from time to time to this day. However, hearing the words car crash or automobile accident does not remind me of it. Watching movies with high-speed chases and incredible car wrecks does not remind me of it. The only trigger for me is if I happen to be driving toward that exact intersection around dusk when the last of daylight has turned a milky gray. The point is, just because someone is involved in a traumatic incident does not mean that hearing the name of the traumatic event is going to be a trigger word for that individual. Literally anything could be a trigger for a memory, or there could be no trigger mechanism at all. The idea that college students need to be protected against a variety of selected words is preposterous. Did the politically correct radicals have some bizarre college experience where every classroom was a battle zone with students randomly lobbing the word rape back and forth in a direct attempt to wound and hurt their fellow classmates? In truth, college lectures and classrooms are very controlled and focused environments much more so than almost anywhere else. In a mathematics lecture, people are not going to be randomly talking about Emily Dickinson or Samuel Beckett. The discussions are very specific and the words and ideas are all within context. 
The course categories and descriptions give a very good idea of what will or could be covered in a particular class. If, in the example given by the politically correct radicals, an individual wishes to avoid the possibility of being exposed to the word rape, it is easy to avoid courses that inherently would have a justified reason for the word being used, like criminal justice, forensic science, and, ironically enough, women's studies. Here is another way to look at it. On a day-to-day -day basis, from the first moment of the day to the very last moment before bed, how frequently does the word rape and the subject of rape come up in conversation? Even though it is a common word, it is not commonly used and not commonly talked about in casual or professional settings unless there is a direct relatable reason for talking about it. College campuses are really not that much different, except it is understood that the people there are gathered together because they share a common interest in learning. When the subject of rape is discussed in a collegiate course where it is both relevant to the material at hand and is an expected part of the conversation, it is not dwelled upon or described in graphic detail. There is no situation, imagined or otherwise, where that would be a productive use of time. Finally, it is time to address the generalized, nonspecific statistical claims made by the opponents of free thinking and intellectual freedom. They claim one-third of all incoming students have been raped. It is important to point out that men are generally not included in these statistics for a variety of reasons, which means the claim of one-third of people being the victims of rape translates into about two-thirds of women have been raped. Without any data provided to back the claim, the number seems a bit high, but it is really not worth arguing about how many victims there actually may be. Directly following this claim, they state that a trigger word, like rape, can cause the victims of rape to relive the traumatic event which will result in them killing themselves. It is important to examine how this claim is set up. As mentioned before, they do not simply use the term trigger word. They continually use the word rape, even though rape is not the only horrific event that can traumatize people. Also, as we now know, the name of a traumatic event does not necessarily work as a trigger mechanism that causes people to relive traumatic incidents. Memory triggers are much more likely to be sights, smells, sounds, or the specific place where the incident occurred. Next, the way the claim is stacked makes it sound like one-third of all individuals will kill themselves if they hear the word rape. What is implied by the claim is clearly ridiculous and unfounded. While there may be a few individuals who could be traumatically affected by the mere mention of a single word and affected by it to such an extreme that they end up killing themselves, it is equally important to note that this is a very, very small percentage of people. It is also important to note that individuals who can be set off that easily are not rehabilitated and they should be under the direct 24-hour observation of trained professionals so they do not harm themselves. The idea that college students need to be coddled and protected from trigger words is ridiculous. If they are truly that dangerous, who protects the millions of ordinary citizens from exposure to these apparently life-threatening words? In academic environments, everything has context and does not randomly occur. 
If there are students who are at risk or need special help, that is fine. There is already a system in place for them to use, but it is up to the individuals who need extra assistance to notify their university and their professors of their special needs. Education inherently challenges individuals to reassess their understanding of the world. When content is censored and subjects are avoided because they are upsetting or are not preemptively aligned with pre-existing beliefs, the potential to learn and grow is dramatically reduced, if not eliminated completely.